amazing. Real quick, we give it up one time for these amazing students being in the house today. Yes, so, so good. I'm excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, you all have been in the book of, Dan, or excuse me, the book of uh, John, and today we're going to take just a little bit of break, a standalone message. You all will resume that next uh, week, but I'm excited to share with you all uh, what we've been talking about this whole entire weekend. We've been talking about this idea for students, and not just for students, but for all of us to live fearless. Uh, there's a lot of things in our world to be fearful of, the fear of uh, uh, media, the fear of culture. All of these things can weigh down on us, but we believe that as followers of Jesus, we have a reason to live fearless for him. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Marquise Cox. I am originally from California. Don't throw stones, okay? I got a woohoo, okay? Praise God. I came here, I saw the signs on the back of your trucks, don't California my Texas, I get it, okay? <laughs> Originally from California, born, raised there, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, was there for six years, and then now I reside in the great state of Texas. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. San Antonio, to be exact, uh, love me some San Antonio, love being here. The food is amazing. It's absolutely incredible. But I didn't make that trip by myself. I did that with my incredible family. I want to show you a picture of my family. This is me, my wife, my two boys. Uh, my wife is holding my eldest son. His name is Denver. Uh, and then I'm holding our youngest, Dallas. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you again. So, uh, But yes, four-year-old, two-year-old. And then my amazing wife, Crystal, going on nine years of marriage. Uh, best friend right there. She's so giving and selfless. I just love her posture towards others. And she's such an incredible woman. We met on blackpeoplemeet.com. And uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can laugh at that. <laughs> I love saying that. She hates when I say that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we actually met at church, okay? Actually been at church, but I'm excited, man, to be here uh, today. I want to talk about. Uh, we've been talking about living fearless for God, and today, uh, for all of us, I want to talk about the fear of God. The Bible talks a lot about how we, as followers of God, ought to fear Him, live a life that we fear Him in our everyday life. But the Bible, the biblical sense of the word fear, is not. Uh, a, a term where we are supposed to be fearful of God or run in terror or to be scared of God. When the scripture speaks of fearing God, it's talking about reverencing God, revering him in the sense of placing him where he ought to be as king over our life. As the king of the universe, you reverence God. See, the reason why the fear of God is a special topic and a good topic for all of us to remember is because we don't want to become so familiar with God that we forget that he's actually our creator. There's a difference when it comes with our heavenly father wanting to have a relationship with us. But when our heavenly, good heavenly father, no good father wants their children to be fearful of them in a scared type of way, a good father wants their children to reverence him. And that's what God wants from us in our relationship with him. I'm reminded when I'm thinking of this idea of fear of God and reverence for those who are above us, I think back to a time in my life, I was in high school. 
I was probably 16 or 17 years old, and I went through this period of my life where all of the men in this room, I can't speak for the women, but all of the men in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say there's a moment or a period in your life where, as my dad likes to say, you start to smell yourself. Yeah, you start to feel good. Girls calling you cute. You got some hair on your legs. You start to feel good, like you're the man. And so you start to act differently. And at 16, 17 years old, fellas, don't leave me up here by myself. You know this to be true. You know that feeling of you start to feel like, man, I'm the man around here. I'm still at home. I'm in high school. And there was a moment I started to act differently, and my father noticed it. But one particular time was this time when I was in the kitchen with my parents. We were all eating, and I can't remember exactly how the story goes, but I remember as I was getting up to leave, my mom telling me something, instructing me on something, and I started to disrespect my mom. I started to get out of line, start talking to my mom as if she was just one of my friends. And in my household, we grew up with this thing. I don't know if y'all know what they are. They're called butt whoopings. Y'all know what butt whoopings are? Okay, okay. I thought they went out of style, but it's down here in Texas too. But we had butt whoopings, but I was, again, feeling myself. So I'm disrespecting my mother, and one of the quickest ways you can find yourself in hot water in my house is to disrespect the queen of the house. So as I'm disrespecting my mother, I turn to walk away, which was a grave mistake. Because the next thing I know, my dad had me by both hands lifted me up by my collar, feet off of the floor, and looked me in my eyes and said, don't you ever disrespect your mother. Don't you ever disrespect the woman who brought you into this world. And in this moment, with tears streaming down my face, what my dad was teaching me in this moment is that, hey, don't become so familiar with your mom that you think you can talk to her anyway. There's a reverence, there's a fear that I ought to have. Again, not being scared of my parents, but a natural reverence for saying, you are my mother, you are my father, so I'm going to put you in your rightful place. I want to parallel that with our relationship with God because God wants us to have a reverence for him where we put him in his rightful place and everything else in their rightful place. But when we get that out of order, it could lead to some dangerous things. As a matter of fact, my first point that I want to show you is this. It's up on the screens. It's this, that a low reverence for God leads to a high reverence for people's opinions. That's a danger that we could run into. A low reverence for God leads to a high reverence for people's opinions. Here's why this is dangerous, because people are going to have a lot of opinions about you. People are going to have a lot of opinions about your life. People are going to have a lot of opinions about your decisions in being a follower of Jesus. But let me just say this, as, as much as I am a people pleaser, my wiring is to be a people pleaser. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have a fork in the road moment where you're either going to want to please man or you're going to want to please God. You're going to have that fork in the road. Every one of us will have a moment where people's opinions are going to try to lead us down this path. People's opinions are going to tell us we ought to uh, build our families this way, that we should marry this way, that we should raise children this way, that we should go to school this way, that we should treat people this way. And then you're going to see a path that God has laid out for us. And if we elevate people's opinions over God's, we'll find ourselves 
living a lifestyle where we're aiming to please people rather than please God. And let me just say this. You know this to be true. When you are trying to live and follow after Jesus, there's going to be moments where people are going to have opinions that differ from that, and they're going to judge you for it. You know this to be true, where you're trying your best to just say, hey, I just want to follow Jesus. I believe Jesus is calling me to live this way. Not every person is going to agree with that. Not every college professor, students, are going to believe with that. Believe that. But people's opinions, here's the filter you have to put them through. People's opinions, you have to filter them through what God says. That, that's the filter. Because people are going to say things about you. People are going to try to tell you, hey, you know what? I don't think that all the mistakes that you've made, that there's a God that still loves you. How can a God that loves you uh, allow you to make all the mistakes you've made? You've blown it. You've messed up too much. And if we allow people's opinions to be elevated ab above the word of God, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. The second place that it could lead us to is this right here. It's up on the screens. A low reverence for God leads to a high reverence for feelings. It leads to a high reverence for our feelings. We have feelings. We have instincts in what we want to do. You hear people, they're led by their feelings. I feel like doing this. You'll talk to a student. I've been in student ministry for a long time. I talk to students. And I say, why would you do it? And the answer, I felt like it. I felt like slapping somebody today. I didn't do it. We, we can't be led. You know, who are, you know who's led by their feelings, who's, who's allowing their feelings to just lead them for every decision? Toddlers. Toddlers will feel something and just, this is what I'm going to do. I feel like jumping off this couch. I feel like doing that. I'm just going to do it. But here's the thing. I'm not saying all of our feelings are wrong, but I'm saying they're good for signals, but they make horrible gods. They're good for signaling. You know what? I feel anxious. I feel some anxiety. I feel this way. It's good for signaling you, but it makes a horrible God for you. You see, all of us feel a certain type of way. We're going to have our feelings, but we are not to be led by our feelings. But people in our world will say, if you feel that, you should do that. You feel like marrying this person, marry that person. You feel like raising your kids this way, do it that way. But the scripture says in the book of Proverbs, there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction. See, this, this elevation of feelings, and, and students hear me all over this room, this, this elevation of feelings will try to steer you and guide you and direct you, but our feelings don't always tell the whole story. You know, these feelings are fleeting. Feelings are, are, are momentary. They're, they're there for a moment, but then they go away. You can feel one way in one moment in a different way in a separate moment. We're not to be led by our feelings. Our feelings were never intended to have more reverence than God. The last dangerous place that this could lead us to is this. It's up on the screens. A low reverence for God leads to a high reverence for independence. This, this idea of just, I want to just become more and more independent. Many of us in this room, we want to trust ourselves. We want to trust our own capability, our degrees, and our experience. I want to trust myself. And if we trust ourselves more than we're trusting God, there's an issue. See, this purpose when it comes to the kingdom of God is to shave off as much independence as possible. No, I don't want you to figure this life out by yourself. 
I don't want you to rely on your own experience. I don't want you to rely on your own strength. I want you to become more dependent on God. You see, when it comes to parenting in our natural sense, the goal of parenting, as a matter of fact, we judge ourselves as successful parents or not based on if our children are independent or not. That's how we think. Our goal, the goal of parenting, and it's a good thing. The goal of parenting is to get our children to become more independent, even as little kids. I'm telling my son, Denver, hey, you can do this. You can put your own pants on. You, you can go to the bathroom by yourself. There's going to be a day where he comes. Listen, you can pour your own milk for your cereal. There's a day coming. Hey, you can drive by yourself. Hey, you can go to college. Hey, you can get out of my house. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You, you, can, you can do this. You see, because the goal is to get my sons, Denver and Dallas, more independent. Why? Because mommy and daddy aren't going to always be here. And I need you to be able to, to survive and figure things out on your own. But in the kingdom of God, it's flipped. Our relationship with God, his goal is not for you to become more independent of him. His goal is to get you more dependent on him. No, I need you to rely on me. I need, you to, I need you to stop relying on everything else and everybody else and come to me as the source. All the things you're relying on, they're a resource, but God is the source. And he's saying, no, no, I want you to depend and lean and rely on me, but oftentimes we don't want that in our life. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of my son, Denver. We take him to this gymnastics class all the time on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday, we take him to this gymnastics class, and he loves it. And there's this little uh, glass uh, that all, uh, you know, where people get to sit and watch uh, the children. But if at his age, all the parents are on the floor with their kids. So everybody's on the floor with the kids, and we're teaching them how to jump. And I'm always telling him, hey, Denver, hey, do this. Jump over here. Don't jump over there. Hey, you got to put your leg like this. You can't put your leg like that. And, and my son, one, this last, a couple of Sundays ago, he said, hey, um, Daddy, go sit over there. And he pointed behind the glass. I said, okay, my son wants to become independent. Went and sat behind the glass. And, and then even over the, when I'm on this side of the glass, I'm like, hey, Denver, no, you can't roll that way. You got to roll this way. And this is what it says, favorite line. No, no, daddy, don't say nothing. <laughs> no, 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 daddy, don't say nothing. Why? Because he wanted to do it on his own. But I want to just use that as a little bit of an illustration because I thought to myself, man, that's what dropped in my mind, what dropped in my spirit is that's me when it comes to God sometimes. I, I so badly want to be independent that when God wants to tell me something, no, no, daddy, don't say nothing. <laughs> hey, Marquise, here's how I want you to treat this person who mistreated you. No, no, daddy, don't say nothing. Because at times I value God being in the vicinity of my life, but I don't want his authority over my life. Like, I, I want you around, God. I want you to around when things get bad i want to run to you but 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 don't 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 speak into how i use my finances don't, don't speak into how i'm going to treat this person and, and 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 allow this person to mistreat me i don't want your full authority i just want you in the vicinity and i'm telling you that if we're going to live for god there's going to be, have to be a higher reverence for him and his authority over our life versus our own independence so we're going to look like we have this entire weekend with the student ministry we're going to look at the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. Before I go there, I want to give you and paint for you the picture that's taking place in this moment. This is a story about these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with their friend Daniel, were taken from their homeland of Israel, taken from Judah, and as exiles brought to this place called Babylon. 
They're brought to Babylon as servants and slaves. They are brought here, and what's stripped away from them is their identity, their culture, all the things that they know. Not only that, they are now living in a world who does not worship the God that they worship. They worship the God of the universe, the God of the Bible that we speak about. But the Babylonians, they worshiped pagans. Or they were, excuse me, they were pagans. They worshiped false idols. They worshiped images and statues. So here, catch this, these teenage boys are. They're around 15, 16, 17 years old. These teenage boys trying their best to live for God, taken away from everything that they know, taken away from a place where they got to worship God openly and freely and brought to a place where they're told that everything about them has to go away. You're going to learn how to be a Babylonian here. They were in a wayward place trying to live for God. And i got to be honest with you, not in a scared tactic type of way, but our world is trending towards chaos, not order. Our world is trending towards people that, 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 that don't value what the scriptures value. They're not trending towards the word of God. And, and here, these teenage boys are. And one day, this king, who was the king of the entire Babylonian empire, his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he came out and said, I want a statue built of me, and I want everybody to worship it. So he builds this 90-foot statue. I just want you to think from floor to ceiling to give you a little bit of scale, a 90-foot statue of himself made out of gold. He made a law that said anytime you hear the music, the flutes and the bagpipes, anytime you hear the music being played, every person stops what they're doing and bows down to this golden image. You get on your face, you get on your knees, and you bow down at this 90-foot golden image. This was the law. So one day, the music starts to play. Everybody in allegiance to this law, they bow down, every single person knowing that if they don't do it, they're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. They bow down and worship this 90-foot golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to go here in your minds with me. In the distance, there's three teenagers Three teenage boys standing while everybody else is bowing down and worshiping. The officials see that. They get angry and grab these three teenage boys, take them before King Nebuchadnezzar and say, hey, these teenage boys are not worshiping the statue that you've built of yourself. King Nebuchadnezzar says to them, I'm giving you one more chance. If you do not bow down when the music plays, you are going to be thrown in a fiery furnace to be burned up. And die. These three teenage boys responded to the king in this way. I want to show it to you. It's up on the screens. It's Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But watch this. Look what they say next. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of, of gold you have set up. 
these teenage boys in the face of adversity, in the face of extreme uh, circumstances. They are getting ready to die. They're on the verge of dying because of their faith. And they look at the king and say, we will not serve the God that you serve. We will not serve this image that you have set up. Here's the first point I want you to realize from these teenage boys. It's up on the screens. Is this right here. They had reverence for God even though they were the minority. They had reverence for God even though they were the minority. They had that, that thing that said, I'm going to I have more reverence for God in this moment than I do the majority of people who are doing something that, that, that God tells us we shouldn't do. You see, as followers of Jesus, let me, know, let me let you in on a secret that you already know about. You are going to be the minority. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be the minority, possibly at your job, possibly in your family dynamic, possibly at that school, possibly in that classroom, wherever you may go. But I guarantee you at some point or another, as followers of Jesus, you're going to be the minority. The majority of people are going to say, hey, just live this way. We're going to do all of this. This is what all of us are doing, and we have a choice in that, in that moment to say, I'm either going to follow the majority because everybody's doing it, or as a minority, I'm going to have more reverence for God than what the majority is doing. Because let me, let me let you know this, and, and I shared this with the students this weekend, what the majority wants to do, the majority wants you to get as close to the line as possible. Hey, hey, I, want you to, I want you to get close. I, I want you to get as close to this line as possible without this being called wrong. Just come to the line. You're not, I'm not telling you to come, come cross over the line. I just want you to get real close to the line. And, and all of us, myself included, we've played that game of how close can I get without this being called sin? My, the first young man that I mentored when I uh, started to become a youth pastor, he came up to me and said, Marquise, listen, I, uh, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I just got baptized. I'm trying to live for God. Um, but I got this girlfriend. I'm trying to do this the right way. Is it a sin to hold hands? No. Is it a sin to hug? No. Okay. Is it a sin to kiss? No. Uh, can we kiss laying down? I'm like, brother, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> but what, what, what game was he playing? The game we all play. How close can I get without crossing that line? Here's what I looked at him and said. I said, get away from the line. You, you got you to pre-decide. As the minority, here's how we make it out. As the minority, we got to pre-decide how we're going to handle those situations before we're actually in them. I, I, here's how I'm going to respond. When I'm in a temptation or a tempting situation, when I'm tempted to gossip, when I'm tempted to lie, here's how I'm going to respond. When I'm in a lustful situation and it's a tempting situation, here's how I'm going to respond. When I'm tempted to be angry, when I'm tempted to lash out, when I'm tempted to, to, to get back or get even with my spouse, here's how I'm going to respond. You see, you have to pre-decide how you're going to handle situations when the majority goes one way and you as the minority, a Jesus follower, wants to go in a separate way. We have to pre-decide. And once you pre-decide, we have to commit. My favorite definition of commitment is doing the thing you said you would do long after the mood that you set it in is over. You see, when we're in a good mood, we make a lot of promises. 
We're in a good mood. We're, we're feeling good right now, not in a, like, Pharisee type of way where I'm boasting about fasting, but our church is on a corporate-wide fast for the month of January, or excuse me, 21 days, and, and, and today is our final day. We break that fast at 6 p.m., and, and then, listen, when I started this fast, I was like, I'm all in. I decided in December I'm going to be all in. I'm giving up bread and social media. Here's why that's a problem. My love language is garlic knots. Okay? But when I made that commitment, can I tell you something? My stomach was full. I just got done eating. I can't wait to fast. It's going to be so good. But then my mood changed, and then I'm negotiating with God. Lord, can I eat pita bread? You know, like, I'm being facetious, but you know what I'm saying. But commitment is doing the thing you said you would do long after the mood that you set it in is over. I say that to couples all the time when I'm officiating their wedding, and they're standing before each other with googly eyes, and they're like, I promise to love you through everything. I would never leave your side. I'm like, okay, your mood going to change. <laughs> your mood's going to change. You're going to look at that butter knife. It's going to look real. <laughs> You're going to be like, I want to cut this person. <laughs> your mood's going to change. You're going to see his clothes by the hamper a thousand times. You're going to be like, I want to hurt this man. But as Jesus followers, we have to pre-decide how we're going to respond and then once we predecide, we have to commit to that action. Here's the second thing we learned from these Hebrew teenage boys. They had reverence for God even though they were uncomfortable. You're going to face situations as followers of God where you're uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, it's going to be real comfortable to do the opposite of what God calls you to do at times. If you've been a Jesus follower longer than seven minutes, you know that this journey gets uncomfortable. Uncomfortable can mean a lot of different things. Uncomfortable could be people looking at you a different way because of the values that you hold. You being ridiculed, you being looked at as weird, you being looked at as, as outdated, you being called names when you go off to college or in the workforce. Teenagers, hear me, even now on your school campuses, you're going to feel some uncomfortability. But what's more important, you feeling comfortable are you reverencing your creator? And this is, and I'm not saying it's easy, it's easier said than done. But I want to promise you, though you're going to feel uncomfortable, Jesus is with you. And he's laid out a path for us that's right. He's laid out a path for us that has a, a, a great uh, a future for us, not easy, not convenient, but it's a life that God has for us that's far more impactful and purposeful than you could ever imagine. I know what the majority is doing. I, I know what those who look like they're comfortable are doing. But as followers of Jesus, we're going to have to have reverence for God even in the moments of uncomfortability. Here's the last thing we see from these three teenage boys in this scripture. They had reverence for God, even though they were uncertain. They had reverence for God. They didn't know their future. They didn't know if they're gonna be thrown into this fiery furnace. But they're being persecuted because of the faith that they had. And here's the one thing I can promise you, I cannot give you certainty about your future. I can't give you certainty about exactly what's going to happen, but here's what you can be certain of. Jesus wants to walk with you through it. Jesus isn't on the other side of your mess. He wants to walk through the mess with you. 
And the one thing that I love about this story is that these teenage boys, although taken from their family, although facing King Nebuchadnezzar in this moment, although they were in a foreign place, although they were in Babylon, they never let Babylon get inside of them. Although they were in a place that didn't worship God, they didn't let that value stop them from worshiping God. And we, wherever we might be, you're going to find yourself in a place where you're the minority and everybody else is doing one thing and God calls you to do another. But it's that internal resolve that will carry you through. As a matter of fact, the bottom line to this message is this. And I'll invite the, not the, excuse me, not the band up, but I'm going to pray in just a moment. But the bottom line is this. I'm going to throw this up on the screens. Your internal resolve, or excuse me, your internal reverence will carry you through external circumstances. Your internal reverence, that, that internal thing within you that says, God, I just want to worship you. And this isn't a message to pit us against the world. It's not believers versus unbelievers and the church versus the world. No, we are not better than people. We don't stand on a higher ground. No, we in humility are trying to follow Jesus the best way we know how. And that comes with us having an internal reverence to say, God, I'm going to put you in your rightful place. That's all reverence is. I'm putting you in your rightful place because God works best as number one. And we can't do it when he's number two, three, or four. Today, my challenge to you is that you put God back in his rightful place as king over your life. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to just hear from your word. God, thank you for the faith of these teenage boys that we get to see who were uncomfortable, uncertain, and were the minority in the land. But yet they had reverence for you. They had an awe of you, a God, you are bigger than I am. And Lord, you as our creator, we're not on the same level as you. So we dare not treat you as such. We are your creation, and we reverence you in this moment. We pray all these things. In your matchless holy name, let all God's people.